Welcome to Jonah Carey Podcast, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our guest today is Sue Bird. Yes, the legendary Sue Bird, the three-time WNBA champion, the champion at the collegiate level, the multiple-time Olympic gold medalist. You name it, Sue Bird has done it in the world of basketball. And she was just hired by the Denver Nuggets to do lots of things. No one specific thing, and we get into that. Uh, the news just came out a couple days ago that the Nuggets had hired her. And uh, as somebody who keeps tabs on Nugget basketball, I've had Tim Connolly on the show, the team president, and I've just kind of followed their efforts. It's a really fun team to watch, too, with Jokic and friends. Uh, what a cool fit with Sue Bird coming in there, one of the most decorated point guards ever, uh, whether it's men's basketball, women's basketball, what have you. And so talk to Sue about uh, what she'll be doing for the Nuggets, which we're going to find out. She's going to find out as well. But the expertise she can bring, uh, the ways that she can work with uh, players like Jokic, she's such an interesting and, and uh, different kind of player, scouting other clubs, all that good stuff. So uh, that was fun. And then just getting into the Sue Bird experience about having all that success, playing for an undefeated Connecticut team, just on and on and on. Uh, she's really delight. I enjoyed uh, chatting with her very much. And uh, I think you'll dig this podcast. So... Yeah. Some quick, quick programming notes. Um, we have lots of content at cbssports.com. My goodness. So we are covering every team, uh, this off season one by one, looking at how, what, what happened in 2018 and also what we can expect for the future. Uh, needs, hot stove, all that stuff. So we're just wrapping up the NL Central teams now. We started NL East, so those are all in the books. And then Pirates and Cardinals should come out not long after this podcast comes out. And then we're on to the NL West and then the American League, and we're going to get to all that. Uh, I'll probably be writing about the Hall of Fame at some point soon. My man Larry Walker. we got to get that guy in. Tim Raines is in. Larry Walker should be in too. He was a phenomenal player. And you know what? People say, oh, Coors Field, this, that. You're, you're not, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. I will fight you. So, yes, I will write about it more coherently than that. Just me rambling. So uh, stay tuned for that. And I have a piece up today. Uh, this is Wednesday on uh, sportsnet.ca about Roy Halladay. And what, not only what a great player he was, but what a beast of a workhorse he was. My goodness, his average uh, innings per start just looked like totally out of place in his era. In fact, his uh, best season of innings per start looks about the same as Koufax's peak in, uh, what is it, 63, I believe it was, which is something else. It was about 7.6, 7.7 innings per start. Quite something. Here's a guy who logged a ton of innings, complete game master at a time in baseball when this wasn't really something that was done. So get ready for that. And I've also got a piece coming out about Fred McGriff for Sportsnet, which will come out relatively soon. So we're doing lots of cool stuff and having lots of fun uh, this off season. And also by the time uh, this podcast uh, airs, well, this won't have happened, but next week's podcast, I will have a child, which will be fun too. So another addition to the family. So uh, I'm beaming. I'm having a nice time and I hope all of you are as well. Uh, so yeah, enjoy this edition of the John Carey podcast. It is with legendary basketball star, Sue Bird.
Very pleased and honored uh, to welcome to the podcast three-time WNBA champ, accolades galore, and the newest member of the Denver Nuggets front office as well, Sue Bird. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I want to start right away with this gig with the Nuggets because it's fascinating. Uh, I'm friendly with some of their front office folk, and it fits. You know, just knowing a little bit about what they're trying to do and trying to build this winning culture, it's hard to find somebody who embodies a winning culture in today's game more than you do, quite frankly. And uh, it would seem to be a great fit from their perspective. So I'm interested in, from your perspective, what, how did you come to this, particularly since the unprecedented part is you continue to be an active player in good standing. So you're going to do this as almost like a summer gig, except that it's not the summer. Uh, what made you decide, you know what, it's not hard enough work for me to try to win another championship. I'm going to go and do this too. Um, well, so the way I think the best way to start the story is two things. One, I never really, um, I think because I was still playing, um, the life of a women's basketball player is, is pretty much playing the WNBA in the summer yep. and you usually go overseas in the winter. And I stopped going overseas like four years ago or so. And I was kind of trying to use my off seasons, which is winter and spring to, to figure out, okay, what might I be interested in? What could I try now? Um, what could I see, what I like, what I don't like, mm-hmm. what I am done, you know, I could, I could easily make the transition. And I always kind of had coaching, front office type stuff, um, as in this category of, okay, I can't do that till I'm done. So it never really was on my radar, it never really crossed my mind. And truth be told, even when Tim, uh, reached out, and he did so through, through a mutual friend of ours, someone that, um, played for him, Colin Butler. Yep. Um, so yeah, even when Tim reached out, I was kind of like, okay, like, I'm totally down to here what he has to say, but I was kind of nervous, like, oh, what if, you know, what if it's, this is one of those things where I can't play and do it? But almost like the first thing out of his mouth was, hey, we know you're still a player, and we know that's your priority, and we want that to continue to be your priority, but, and then kind of highlighted some things that, that you know, I could maybe do with the Denver franchise. And so it was, um, it was really, it was, it was perfect for me. You know, I get to do um, both. And, uh you know, I think I'm just going to try to bring my player's perspective. You know, like, like you said, I, I do have a lot of experience. I have one on, uh, you know, a bunch of different levels. Yeah. And I kind of just have an idea of what it might take to, to win a championship, what you need. Um, with that being said, there's a huge learning curve. And, you know, the NBA, I, have, I need to learn a lot about the players and, you know, the teams and personnel in, in order to scout effectively and in order to really just have um, an educated opinion. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you you have something of an amorphous title. Would you describe Scout as your major, as the biggest part of your job description at this point, as somebody who goes on the road and does scouting for the team? Or is it uh, consulting? Is it any kind of coaching-related stuff? It's it's weird, I guess. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. No, I mean, that's kind of what's so great about it. Yeah. I think um, I can kind of make it, or we can kind of move yep. whatever it's going to be and, and wherever my strength kind of fits. And, and that's the, the beauty. We don't really know yet. And I think, you know, the, the, everybody there has been so great. I mean, from the moment I stepped off the plane to visit um, about a month ago, um, everyone from Tim to Arturis to Cal, I mean, all the way down. Hmm. Um, even Coach Malone was super welcoming. And, um, you know, I think they've been, they've just been trying to, kind of give me different different looks at things. Yep. Like, hey, why don't you check this player out or check this game out or, 
you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and the same with, with, hey, watch this game of the, of the Nuggets. Like, hey, why don't you watch this game and give me your thoughts on the team? So I think they're just kind of opening the door to whatever. I don't really, I think the title is kind of vague. And I think the reason why is because we're going to find out what I'm good at and what I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, right away, and, and this is brand new and, and I was excited to talk to you, but I'll, I'll throw one at you right away. Nikola Jokic is probably a unicorn. I mean, he is the most unusual player maybe in the NBA. He's like if Sabonis was athletic and in his prime playing in the NBA, except maybe he even has skills that Arvidas didn't have back in the day. Just such a fascinating player, a brilliant passer, which of course you can relate to, and a huge human being. So how, how, you know, I may be speaking abstractly to start, and I also don't, I presume you'd give away any intellectual property, but how would one best utilize somebody with his skills? It feels like there's almost no wrong answer. You could play him high post. You could have him stand on a three-point line and launch. You could have him post up. Uh, but And they do all of that. But, you know, could there be a way to unlock even more value in this guy who's clearly one of the elite players in the league? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, that's the beauty of him. Is that you can kind of put him anywhere on the floor, and he's going to be effective. Right? Yeah. But, um um, somewhere in, in the, in the, you know, pinch post, mid post area and let him back a guy down. You can put him as a stretch player, right? Cause he can shoot three so yeah. well. You can have him be a facilitator really from anywhere on the floor because of his passing skills. Um, so that's, that's kind of the beauty. It's, it's in a way, it can, it can be a gift and a curse, right? When somebody's so good at so many things, mm. it's like, okay, where do you put them? Like, where are they most effective? And, and I think that, that'll be part of, of his growth. It's what spots on the floor when there's a minute left and it's a two point game? Like you want to get the goal the ball here, you know? Yeah. That's, and that's that's part of the evolution I think of any great player. Um, I've seen it, you know, with the with the great players that I've played with in my career. I've seen that when they're really good at a lot of things, mm-hmm. um, you got to make sure you're still getting them the ball where they're best. And that's kind of um, I think a part of it. But the beauty of of his game is he's 23. And he has things that you can't teach. Oh, yes. And you can always get better at, you know, your percentages can increase from a shooting standpoint. You can have a better assistant turnover ratio as you go. Um, You can probably even move on the ball more as you go. But the things that um, you can't teach, he has. And that, to me, is is my favorite part of the other thing. And, you know, any great player, of course, is going to have knowledge of the game as a whole. But I have to think that your knowledge would be uh, most focused and, and most acute, I guess, from the point guard perspective. I mean, it's, it's all you've known. It's what you've done your whole life. It's, it's, you've lived and breathed being a point guard, not necessarily a power forward. Uh, granting that you don't have a job description per se, but do you come in and do a disproportionate amount of work with Monty Morris or Jamal Murray or heck, your friend Isaiah Thomas? Is that the kind of thing that you might expect to do that you would volunteer to do that you would say, Hey, I know that position. I'm one of the greatest who ever played that position. I feel like I can contribute something. What, what, how does that go? Or is it just, nope, she's really smart and we're going to have her do everything and, and we don't want her to specialize. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know. Um, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm figuring this out as I go. Yeah. Uh, I think, talking with a I've been a point guard my whole life. It's what I know. Yeah. I'm comfortable with. Um, I think the good news about being a point guard is that you are an extension of the coach and you are constantly thinking of Everybody else on the floor, not just yourself. So while I've never played the power forward position, yes. I might not know, you know, the, the subtle intricacies of it, you know, in terms of, oh, drop step here or right. up here, you know, but I do have a sense. You know, I know where 
I want my, I know where, when, when I'm playing, I know where I want my teammates. I know no matter what position, I know what places they need to be to be successful. So I think the way I'm starting to look at, and actually I learned this um, from Christy Tolliver, you know, who's hmm. uh, recently been the assistant for, for the, uh, the Wizards. She kind of was like, yeah, I watch these games and I just put myself in the point guard shoes and I kind of try to see the game, you know, as they're moving through a play or through the course of a game, I just try to see what they're seeing and then maybe get some tips that way. So I think that's really good advice to start out with. And then from there, you can kind of build a broader eye. Um, and as far as working like directly with players, I really don't know how that's going to work. I think that's one of those things anyway that you can't just walk in the door and be like, hey, here I am. Here's, listen to me. This is what I got to say. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Hmm. It doesn't work that way for me as a player. I don't think it just works that way. I think you have to build trust and build relationships. Um, and then from there, you know, it opens the door to like, oh, maybe showing a player something that they don't see or that they haven't looked at it a certain way. Um, but I don't plan to, believe me, I have no plans to walk in the door and, and try to do that. I mean, the coaching staff's doing an amazing job. Yeah. Um, I would just kind of be, you know, a resource if, if needed. You mentioned Tolliver, obviously Becky Hammond in San Antonio, and this stuff is happening. And and I guess you could be a pessimist or an optimist about it. It sort of depends on your point of view. On the one hand, you could say, this is great. This is fantastic. The NBA is opening its doors wide and whatever the background, whatever your point of view, great. If you're smart, you're going to have a job. And the negative point of view would be, well, gee, what took so long? It's obvious that Becky Hammond would have a lot to contribute. It's obvious that Sue Bird would have a lot to contribute. So where do you fall on that just in terms of why it did take so long for this to happen? Was it just a cultural shift need to happen? Was it just somebody had to jump into the pool first or what was it? Yeah, I think someone had to jump in the pool first. Yeah. Um, which we're lucky that that happened. You know, you could even say <clears throat> Sacramento with Nancy Lieberman. Yeah. Legend. Of course, Becky Hammond. Yeah. Of course, Becky Hammond is really, um, one of the best examples because, um, look where she is now, right? She's in, she's on the front bench. Yeah. Um, you know, clearly making a name for herself, even getting looks you know, for head coach positions. And I think, you know, there is two ways to look at it. You could kind of be that, I guess, disgruntled um, woman or player who, you know, wanted to look and get it. But I kind of look at it, look at it as if it's been an evolution, right? Like mm. the NBA hasn't been along that long. Yeah. We're in our 22nd year. And so it takes time, I think, to produce a professional basketball mind. And, and so what you're seeing now is players, who played professionally both, you know, abroad and here in the WNBA and have kind of developed and established themselves, you know, as great minds and have a ton of experience to pull on in the professional game. You know, again, 22 years ago, you had people playing college ball and then, yeah, a lot did go overseas. But yeah. You, you didn't see it. You didn't hear or see them for, for, for all those months, for all those years. And so just now you're starting to see players who have, you know, 15 years of WNBA experience under their belt, like Becky, who will retire and now are ready to be in those ranks. Um, but I do think now that it, I, I still do think it was going to take someone to jump in the pool and, and kind of make it happen. And luckily, you know, the Kings did that, Greg Popovich did that with the Spurs, um, so on and so forth. And, and now what you're seeing is a lot of people opening their eyes like, oh, wait a minute, Becky Hammond is doing a great job. Chrissy Tolliver is doing a great, Jenny Busek's in, in Dallas. Yeah. He's doing a great job. Like now there's this whole other, speaking of pools, this whole other pool <laughs> in women's basketball players that, you know, from a resource standpoint can be tapped into. So that's kind of how I see it. You mentioned Nancy Lieberman and a great book I read recently 
And I had two, both of the authors on the podcast, actually, uh, Jackie McMullen and Rafe Bartholomew, was one called Basketball, a Love Story. Uh, really, really good. And the thing that I appreciated is, yeah, there's lots of MJ and magic and bird and all that stuff. But it was about, you know, the CCNY scandal of the 50s and, and things that don't necessarily get the full treatment. And I appreciated that it really went into the evolution of women's basketball. That as you started, the WNBA hadn't been around that long and that you needed pioneers. And since we talked about Nancy Lieberman, we can't not talk about Nancy Lieberman because she's pretty freaking cool. That she was just, the way that she went about it, I mean, there was no infrastructure whatsoever and she just didn't give a damn. She said, I, I can play at this level. I can do it. And became this, you know, great winner, became a trailblazer and all that. You know, obviously you come in, you've got talent, you've got the ability, you jump into the WNBA and you do really well. Is it built into a, a, a star women's basketball player's DNA to sort of understand the Nancy Lieberman story? Or is that the kind of thing that, oh, okay, it's somebody who played a long time ago, but I got my thing going on. And I'm not asking it, you know, flippantly or facetiously. I'm honestly curious if, if that is something that's on the brain at all as opportunities come up, or is it just, no, I've earned my right and that's, that's how it goes. Well, so I look at this two ways as well. I think, so I'm, I'm at an age where I know the Nancy. Yeah. You know, and part of that is because when I was a sophomore in college, is the first time she started um, her Nancy Lieberman Point Guard of the Year. Yes. And I was fortunate enough to win that um, three times. <laughs> like my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got to spend some time with Nancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew her story prior to that. You know, she's from Rockaway, New York. So I'm, you know, I'm from Long Island. It's not that far. Yep. So I always heard the name. I always knew the story. <clears throat> um, so like I said, I'm at an age where, yeah, I, I understand who these pioneers are, these trailblazers. And it, it, I mean, she's like one of the main ones, but I could rattle off names, whether, you know, Ann Myers, yep. Cheryl Miller, you know, and then Nancy. And then you can go, now it's, we're talking about Becky and people that are kind of in my generation. But so the second side of this is, to be honest, if a 21-year-old, now while I do think they should know the history of the game, it says a lot if they if they view these opportunities as, of course, I should have them. You know, of course, what do you mean? Of course, I should be have the opportunity to, to coach or be in the front office in the NBA. Of course, I should have the opportunity to do whatever it is they want to do. Because that's how you know that we're making strides and that, we're, you know, ground is being broken. Um, it's always, always, always important to recognize, you know, who opened those doors for you. Um, but in some way, it, it is a compliment. It, it can be a compliment to those people that these opportunities are, I guess, taken for granted, but in a good way, you know, because you yep. know what? they should be there for us. Absolutely. Uh, since you mentioned college, I, I want to bring up those UConn teams because holy moly, those are good UConn teams, obviously in large part due to you, but, you know, just such a great infrastructure uh, that was built there and all the success that came with it and all that. There's a lot of ways that I could go at this, but one way that I'm, one thing I'm really curious about is, is the undefeated thing. Is when you're working on an undefeated season, obviously the goal is to win the championship, and if you win the championship when you're 20 and 16, that's cool. It's just as cool, or almost as cool maybe as if you win it when you're 39 and 0. But when you're winning constantly, and everybody, and I mean everybody is going after you. This is the team. This is the player. This is who I need to shut down. We're going to game plan. We're going to triangle in two and box in one this person. We're going to make her life hell. We're going to do this and we're going to do this and this team is not going to beat us. And you're young. You know, you're a kid. You're 20 years old. You're trying to handle this kind of pressure. How do you prepare for that mentally? Aside from that, your physical skill can take you. 
say places, how do you adjust to, oh, I have a target on my back more than maybe anybody else in the nation? Um, you know, I think um, that's the beauty of going to the University of Connecticut. Yeah. That's the beauty of playing for Coach Ariyama. He, um, he and the rest of the coaching staff, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Chris Daly. What they do is put you in the most stressful, pressure-filled situation mm. every day in practice. So then when you get to the game, you are – it's like, it, it's almost easy. It's easier than what you just did for the last five days with him, you know, yelling at you, being extremely, extremely demanding. Um, you turn around, you put your uniform, you get in the game, and you're just ready to kind of explode on another team. And, you know, I say that, and, you know, simultaneously, we were the most talented. You know, sure. we could, in our with our eyes closed, and I, I no disrespect, but... We were beating teams by 20 and 30, you know, no big deal. It's not like every game we went out and we were playing teams that had the same amount of talent. True. Now, of course, it gets to a point in the NCAA tournament where it all kind of starts to even up and, and you still – but we were so prepared mentally from our practices. And when I look back on the roster of my senior year, which was the undefeated team, I mean, the names, right? Diana Tarasi, Sling Cash, Asia Jones, yep. Jessica Moore, Ashley Battle. I just named – people who, you know, will go down as the greatest of all time, but also people who had legit professional careers. I mean, we were a WNBA team before mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we got there. So we were already, like, very talented, very mentally tough, and Coach Arema and his staff just put us on another level. I want to ask you also about Russia, because, come on, you've spent significant time in Russia, and I need to know about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, you get the choice to, to some extent of where you want to play overseas. You certainly had a lot of talent. You had a lot of pedigree. You could have chosen a lot of places, and Finance is certainly going to be a factor. There's no question about it. But did you have any trepidation about going to Moscow as opposed to, I don't know, Barcelona or Tel Aviv or, or a bunch of places that might not seem as as very Moscow as Moscow is? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it was, I never noticed. Um, when I first went, it was like 2005, when we were on there. And uh, no, I wasn't nervous. And hmm. You know, I think when you're when you're a player going overseas, there's there's a lot of there's a long list of, of what you want out of your team. Um, but I think everyone would be lying if, if they didn't say money was at the top. Sure. Going to try to get the best offer. Now, are there other things that can sway you? Yeah, like city, country that can sway you. Hey, maybe you have on another team, you have friends as teammates that can make it a much more enjoyable experience. Um, but Russia for a long time and, and even till this day, um, just has the most money. And luckily because it has the most money, it was able to attract a lot of the great players. So not only was it, not only did you have really just talented teams, maybe with your friends on it, you know, speaking of Diana Tarasa, Tarasa yeah. with her for seven out of my 10 years. Mm-hmm. So that was always nice, but it also had the best competition. So while you were playing in EuroLeague, which you play all the European teams, you're also, Russian League was just as hard at times. So all in all, there is really a no-brainer for me. Um, that's why I never left. I played there yeah. my entire my entire overseas career was, was spent. I was on three different teams, but it was all spent in Russia. Hmm. And then, of course, representing your country, which you've done so successfully so many times. Uh, you know, people talk about it. And I've had a couple of Olympians on the podcast, track athletes, things like that. And they talk about this this something, this glow, this this patriotism, this – Standing, especially if you win, 
standing on the podium and hearing the anthem. And not everybody is born with a patriotic gene. You know, maybe you, you, you could take it or leave it. And yes, you're American, but you play basketball and that's what you enjoy doing. And whatever, maybe you identify as a basketball player or a human being first and an American second or third or fourth. Is there something to the anthem, to the pomp and circumstance, to the gold medal playing for your country? Uh, or, or does it, you know, strike you as similar to, I want a championship with the Storm. I want a championship with UConn. How, how does it differentiate itself at all, or, or does it? Um, no, it 100% differentiates itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's different about winning in, like, a league or in college is you're kind of you're on this team, you're on this journey, you're together for a long time, yep. you're going through a season, so there's ups, there's downs, there's you're over here, you're over there, and then when you win, there's this, like, sense of satisfaction. So that, for, for basketball, that is different. The Olympics doesn't necessarily have that, but obviously the Olympics has things that many in college or in the WNBA don't have. And I, I can tell it in kind of, you know, two ways. One is, you know, you can be a Storm fan, a Seattle Storm fan, yep. and you can be an LA Sparks fan. And when, if the Seattle Storm wins, that fan base is thrilled. And then you have like, you know, people who are fans of the other 11 teams hate you. They don't like you. They don't want to see pictures of you with the trophy. When you win a gold medal representing your country, yeah. everybody is a fan of that. Mm. You can't walk, I mean, shortly after the Olympics, you walk around, it's like everybody, you know, wants, you know, for lack of a better, like wants a piece of that. Yeah. To that. And it's because you're representing them and you're representing something larger than yourself. And that is where it's unique. And I remember, um, the into the 2004 Olympics, I was, uh, we got back to America and then we all landed wherever we landed. And then I was flying by myself basically from like, let's say New York to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And, you know, I'm in my seat and all of a sudden the, the flight attendant comes up and she's like, Hey, she's like, look, are you Sue Bird? Did you just play in the, like, <laughs> the Olympics? And I was like, yeah, she was like, do you have your medal on you? It's like, yeah. I, oh. Before I knew it, that medal was, she basically asked, can the pilot see it? So she showed the pilot. Yeah. And then on her way back, like everybody in my surrounding seats wanted to see it, wanted to touch it. That thing got passed, like up and down the plane. I'm not joking. It That's so cool. Three row and back. Yeah. Um, it was, I was like a little like, oh my God, I hope nobody's doing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just, that's when I knew, you know, and that was my first Olympics. And that's when I it really hit me like, whoa, if it hadn't hit me before, it really hit me like I am playing. This has nothing to do with me. You know, this is about representing your country and, and all about me. Obviously playing for the storm. Uh, it's an interesting experience because it goes without saying that the NBA team in Seattle left, you know, for various and complicated reasons, but you see the culture that the storm has built. And, and over the course of your career, rabid fan base, you know, just seeing people coming to games and it feels like, you know, as somebody who enjoyed watching Peyton and Camp back in the day, that there's a lot of that common DNA there, that there are real hardcore basketball fans in Seattle. In your mind, is the market acceptable, uh, accommodating to both an NBA and a WNBA team? And this was just uh, something happened. There was political stuff and money stuff. Or is there something endemic that says, oh, this city can absolutely support a powerhouse WNBA team? But for whatever reason, it's not quite cut out for NBA. What? No, that's not it at all. Okay. You could have like 30 basketball teams and there would be enough to go around. Wow. Love basketball. You can see it at UW men's games, UW women's games, at our games, when the Sonics were there at their games. Um, they go to Seattle U games. Yeah. So, UW, I mean, lots of stuff. 
Gonzaga yeah. would be like a battle in Seattle mm-hmm. at the arena. Um, it's crazy when Gonzaga comes down there. Same with Wazoo. I mean, I could go on and on. It's, it's a basketball town. There's so many players that have come out of there. I think that's part of it. People just really appreciate good basketball. Yes. Um, and the community itself amongst those players. I'm, I'm really, you know, it's kind of cool. I'm proud to be a part of that that little basketball community. Um, but as far as fan base goes, no. When the Sonics were there, um, you know, we won in 2004, and they were they were there. Yep. We had we were sold out all the playoff games. Sold out 17,000 at Key Arena. Wow. You know, I, I don't know what our attendance was in the regular season, but probably comparable to what um, it usually is. Yep. And then when the Sonics left in 2008, um, you didn't see anything change in our attendance. Hmm. And it's not because I think the fan base is. I do think there are some differences yep. in the fan base. That's that's normal. But um, I don't think that I think Sonics fans respect the Storm. And it goes and it goes both ways. I think Storm fans respect the Sonics. I think there's kind of like that outside layer fan that would go to both. And then there's some that are just Storm and some Sonics, just Sonics. But um, no, I mean they could definitely coexist. It's not even a question. Uh, and I have to ask you, I, I, one friend of mine is Kevin Pelton, who's great, lives in Seattle, covers yeah. Storm, covers right all that good I'm stuff. Great, great NBA writer and, and does a great job covering the storm as well and, and all that good stuff. And I said, Hey, what should I ask Sue Bird? And he said, You have to ask her about between two birds. And I said, What is between two birds? And then he showed me and I said, Oh, well, this is the best thing ever. And I was going to lead with it, but I figured maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. But explain what between two birds is and, and, I guess how you're able to have the goofy side of you come out because it feels like when athletes are doing something on whatever media, social media, whatever, it's look at me, I'm flexing, I'm cool on this or that. I mean, this is, you know, you're fully channeling Galifianakis. You're fully goofing it up and it's, right. it's really, it's really good. So how did this idea come to you and, and, and how are you able to kind of drop the pretense and just say, yeah, I'm just going to be a goof and go with it? Um, I mean, at this point, I have no problem having fun. Yeah. Um, with stuff. Yeah. So. Um, the funny thing about it is, if you do watch it, it totally is playing off between two friends. Um, but you do every now and then I'll have somebody either tweet about it or <laughs> come up to me and be like, I don't get it. <laughs> and I just, you know what, we just can't have a conversation. Right yes. I don't get it. Because clearly if you don't get it, it's not going to be funny. Um, but with that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my brain cell by any means. Um, we work, uh, the Stormers with Three Point Productions. Yep. Um, there's actually a bunch of guys that used to be Sonic and Storm employees. Um, one of them is Matt Howard, and he came up to me. He was like, "Listen, I have an idea," and he kind of like spelled it all out. Yeah. I was like, without hesitation, I was like, "I'm in. Let's do this." <laughs> he kind of he generally comes up with like a script, and then I'll try to like while we're on the camera, if something good pops up that I can kind of freelance, I'll, I'll go and I'll ad lib it. Um, but yeah, it, and it, it works well, and it's hilarious because everyone who's been on the show, like, they didn't know what they were walking into. <laughs> you know, and mostly, I've only really done my teammates. Yeah. Um, and so obviously they know me, and they know me well. And so when they walk into this room, and then all of a sudden I'm very, like, deadpan, asking them really weird questions, <laughs> no facial expression. Then I'm, all of a sudden I'm jumping out of my chair and I'm dancing. <laughs> They're very much like, what the hell is going on? So that's kind of the beauty of it. Um, but yeah, I totally enjoy doing that stuff. I have zero problems. Um, showing that side of my personality. I think people don't get to see it, so I think they're taking a back at things, but yeah. if you know me, it's really not that far from, from who I am. Yeah, the Jewel Lloyd episode in particular, where, and I say this with, with all, uh, kindness, but she seems to be clueless through the whole thing. That's good. Yeah, yeah. That's, but that's great. It's, it's, she's just, 
what kind of bird? Oh, I meant which bird to eat. And it's just, it's just, there's a certain, I, I don't know. I like the fact that you've got people unwitting about it. And it would be interesting to expand. I mean, I, who knows where this would go one, one day or not, but I, I'd love to see like Lisa Leslie do the show or Cheryl Miller. Like it'd be really cool to expand the, right. the, uh, the empire out and just see if you could take people down. Because again, it's, it's one thing to do it in the entertainment sphere, but sports, and maybe it's a little bit more that you start to see it because of Instagram or whatever, where people can can be funny in sports, but it still feels rare. It still feels like looking cool trumps being funny, which I think is a, is a damn shame. Funny is better than anything in my mind. I totally agree. Uh, well, Sue, this has been a, a delight and a pleasure, and uh, congrats on the gig, and uh, I'm excited as somebody who keeps tabs on the Nuggets to see where the team goes, and how they best use you. And I'm excited for you to find out, I guess, how you end up uh, uh, getting used and being and performing in this job just because it is so wide open, which is really neat. Uh, I wish you all the best of luck and I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 